Okay, ready to start, everyone? Yeah. Um, so for misconception, Jews have a bad organized religion. So when I was uh, in Israel studying yeshiva before I became a rabbi, uh, we had uh, fellowships of students from the United States and the rest of the world uh, they would come to learn in the yeshiva for uh, you know a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever, and they go to Israel, etc. Like the birthright trips, etc. And I was sitting learning with a guy. We they would learn for like an hour, and then they would tour Israel for the rest of the day. And I said, "So, so, so what you got? Do you have any questions? Do you have anything you want to talk about?" He says, "Yes. Why do Jewish women shave their head, their hair?" And I was like. Any question of the world, and what does he ask me? So I'm a total misconception, which is totally untrue. And this is not the only. You're like, what? Is that true? Okay, and there's this woman, a woman who lives in Israel, who who. Uh, we are burkas. Yes. No, but it's yes. not. Why do Jewish women shave their head? Jewish women don't shave their head. So if there's a few of them, fine. Uh, if you if you non-Jewish women also shave their head, right? Well, I like that movie. I love New York. I love the audience. There's a scene with Natalie Portman in the Diamond District where she talks about having to shave her head for her wedding. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Okay. I recommend that. It's there's a whole blog. This this girl in New York debunks all those misconceptions. Oh, it's called Jew in the City. New York, I love you. It's um, it's like the New York version of Paris, I love you. So that was what I thought is one misconception, and there's more famous misconceptions, and this one is clearly a misconception. I must agree with me. If you have a tattoo, won't be buried in a Jewish cemetery. I don't know who made this one up. (laughs) Clearly, like it's someone with a wild imagination. And uh, has has that one you heard that one? It's actually not true. Uh, <laughs> now, <laughs> now, while Judaism in Deuteronomy, the Torah, the Deuteronomy, you know, Torah and Deuteronomy clearly does prohibit tattoos. Nowhere does it say that a Jew who has tattoo can be a Jewish cemetery. And there's a few more. Uh, the hole in the sheet, also another <laughs> famous misconception. And lastly, That's and uh, That's what I was told myself. Yeah, Jessica said all those things are true. Not the shaving of the head. <laughs> no, you're the one that told me that one. You told me that one. I'm like, really? I never met one Jewish woman that shaved her head to wear a shade off. But so, the tattooed one is what? It's, but it's actually my not family true. and all of my religious friends were telling me. Yeah, but it's actually not true. It's not true. And the yeah. last one, uh, by the way, where did the whole machine come from? It's actually ironic because hole in the sheet, not only does it not exist, it's actually, it would be forbidden. There cannot be anything separating the two. And the last thing is also ironic, and that is the idea of arranged marriages. While the Torah clearly prohibits arranged marriages, and I'll even give you the source for that, Kiddushin 41a. And this got me to think about other misconceptions, famous misconceptions that people have, or more critical, more crucial, more um, general Misconceptions that people have that Jews have about Judaism uh, specifically, but also uh, organized religion in general, and uh, I came up with a list of four. Ready? Okay. Misconception number one: Judaism or religion uh, is ancient, irrelevant, arcane. 
not contemporary or modern, not pertinent to our society in the 21st century. We have a world Jews, and we have a religion, a tradition that dates back, what, 3,800 years? A long time. And in order for it to have value for us today, we have to recognize the fact that it's, 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 it's contemporary, it's pertinent, it has value today. And lots of Jews are under the impression or have this misconception that Judaism is not relevant. So I'm going to try to debunk that. I'm going to try to uh, disprove that and give a few examples. And this, I, when I was researching for this topic, I came up with lots, lots, and lots more examples of how um, you know ancient documents and ancient practices and, and the Jewish culture that's been around since you know for time immemorial has actually is actually, is actually very active today, or the ideals are very much contemporary. Uh, we're all familiar with the idea, and we live in a society that values the idea of all men are created equal. And some people might uh, be under the mistaken assumption that that has actually been around forever, and that was an, an ideal practice and espoused, uh, you know, agreed upon by ancient societies and ancient civilizations. It was actually, it was actually totally not true. Uh, it's a relatively new thing. It's only since you know, it's, you know, since the Enlightenment. It's brand new. You know, since the to, to give value to people that are not landowners or to women or to people that were not uh, that, that weren't wealthy or didn't own you know didn't you know the, the, it, it weren't born to uh, privileged families. That's a brand new thing. And uh, you know, Leviticus nineteen. Remember, a book written three three thousand years ago. What does it say? Not to favor the wealthy, not to favor the poor. All men are created equal. You cannot judge uh, in, in favorably. Everyone has to get the you know the fair day in court, right? Justice for all. That's that's a Jewish idea that came from us. Okay. I always want comments. Yeah, especially from you, Eric. What you got? Right. That's only for Jews. Right. That's for Jew for Jew. But when you come for Jews and non-Jews, it could be a little different. So what's your point? The judgment is different for Jews compared to... Well, because we have our Jewish law. Jewish law is for Jews. Right. Gen- but, so Gentiles have their own law. Or are, are required. Are Gentiles subordinate under Jewish laws? Um, in what way? Give, it, give, it, give an example. Like, uh, if a Jew steals money... You're not allowed to steal from a non-Jew. Next. No. Huh? Right. No, You're not allowed to steal from a non-Jew, <laughs> and uh, so yeah, much so that... They, no. What if a non-Jew steals from a Jew? No, if a Jew steals from anyone... They're judged, right? But what happens if a non-Jew steals from a Jew? How are they judged differently? If a non-Jew steals from a Jew, what would they be judged differently? Huh? Jews Um, would they be judged differently? Well, I, I, I'm not saying that that. Um, Jews and Gentiles are judged identically, and I know if anyone, I'm sure you all will want to rabbitwalby.com to hear my discussion. I gave an abortion, which, uh, while not the topic today, uh, is an area where Jews and Gentiles have different laws. Essentially, the only area in in uh, in, in Jewish in, in law where where Jews where Gentiles actually have a more stringent um, stance in the matter than Jews. Uh, but uh, this idea that, uh, that 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 Gentiles are just you know in Jewish law just are totally not valid is actually not true. So much so that you know Maimonides says that even if you're living in a Jewish uh, country under Jewish sovereignty and, and you have Gentiles there, you cannot you know. And there's Jewish court of law. Uh, Maimonides writes 
if a Jew kills a Gentile, the Jew gets killed. You know, it's not like we have it skewed. So are, are there differences? Yes. Uh, but um, we, uh, the idea of the premise of, 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 of people being equal and, every, you know, everyone having their, their fear. Your statement is interesting, though, that you said that Gentiles are judged more subordinately to Jews. It's not, it's not from that lens. You have to think of it from a different lens. You have to think of the Jews are held to a higher standard overall. Not that not that Gentiles are less. That's it's you you bear more responsibility, so therefore you suffer more consequences. And are they for, are Jews afforded more rights? More rights, as in what? Liberties. You know, uh, things they can do that non-Jews can't. Well, it's actually the opposite. <laughs> Jews have lots of restrictions. Gentiles don't have any, right? You know, in according to Torah law, Gentiles have seven things that they're not allowed to do. That's it. Or 16 that they're not allowed to do. Right? Then I'll, you know, then I'll, idolatry, murder, uh, rape, right? Thievery. They cannot, I, I went through this list with you once, Josh. They cannot, you know, slice the, the leg off an animal and, you know, eat, you know, eat, not your raw, but eat it while the animal's still alive. Curse out God and that's it. Right? And have a system of laws. That's it. Well, call it free or maybe less restrictions. restrictions. Yeah, Gentiles would have less restrictions. Would I call them more free? I don't think so. I don't know all the rules about Gentiles. In fact, I don't know any at all. But I did see Pastor Osteen, the guy that's got that big I know he is. He said he sees no reason why the Old Testament shouldn't apply to his entire congregation, as well as the New Testament. He's arguing. So he speaks on behalf of many tens of thousands of people. And that's how he started to keep kosher. And that's the argument against Christianity. Who gave Paul the right to abrogate the law? Paul, right? But Paul was the founder of their religion, and we're getting a little sidetracked. But he he was one who says, oh, Shabbos, you don't have to keep Shabbos anymore. Oh, you don't have to have circumcision. Oh, all you need to do is follow Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as, you know, love your neighbor as self and accept Jesus, right? He he, he did away with all the Jewish practices. How do, who gave him the right to do it is... is, is uh, Question is yet to be answered. I think he was one of the apostles, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, yeah. Paul came like about sixty years after Jesus, and he was a hardcore Jew that just came yes, Saul, Saul Tarsus found Jesus. He had an epiphany he, on the way to Damascus. Right. He met Jesus. He was crusading against him. Now, but I'll tell you guys something interesting. Um, there is a Jewish tradition about Paul. Once you're talking about Paul. Uh, there's a Jewish tradition that says that he actually was true to the Jewish faith till the end. Are you familiar with that? Um, Paul started off as someone, the, the, the Christian religion started off as a subsect of, uh, of Judaism. It was like the Jewish Christians. You know, they would keep Shabbos and eat kosher and work to fill and everything, but they believe in Jesus. So, you you know, and and uh, Paul was, was, he was crusading around to try to, you know, to get rid of them. Or to you know to, to to stamp out this this upstart group, and legend. This is a Jewish legend and tradition. Was that he? Uh, well, then he had this massive epiphany, and he said he met Jesus on the way to Damascus. And Jesus says, "Why are you uh, teaching? Are you drawing against my teachings?" And he eventually became the leader of that group. And he was one who said, "Okay, you don't need to keep Shabbos. You don't need to be a Jewish Christian. It's not a Jew. It's not something. It's his own religion." So there's a tradition that says that uh, he was. He was, you know, he was true to the end. He was loyal to the end to Judaism. And what he did was he made it two distinct religions. Therefore, when you see your neighbor who's a Jew, you're not, you, you know for sure that they're not a closet Christian. You cannot be both anymore.
that's the tradition. Uh, but yeah, but th- this idea that uh, no one has free reign, and even the king, in, you know, in, in, in Jewish law, the king has to write a safe Torah, write a Torah scroll, and keep it with him, right? Even the king is not above the law, you know. In Judaism, the, the first uh, the first idea, the, the, the way the way the government worked was with checks and balances. Our United, the United States government is built on the fact that no, no one has too much power. Right, the king had power, but the Sanhedrin had power, and the you know, and, and the prophet had power, and the Kohen Gadol, the highest priest, had power, and no one could override uh, the rest of the groups. It's fascinating. Think about uh, twenty five hundred years ago, um, a, a system of government was in place that our government, you know, today was modeled after. Um, value of human life, which is an ideal that we today take for granted, uh, but back in the day, in many many societies. Um, infanticide was a way to, you know, just today I heard on the radio, just right now, I heard on the radio that they found this kid, uh, found a baby. Oh, yeah. You heard it on the way here? Yeah, I heard they found a baby uh, next to some dumpster, a few hours old, mm-hmm. right? They're wrapped up in a, in, you know, in a in a sweater. Baby's perfectly healthy, a few a few a few hours old. They said a few hours old, just left, you know, by a dumpster. And to us, it's so shocking, but it was commonplace. Commonplace as a method of, of sex selection. Uh, sorry, ladies, but generally it was, <laughs> uh, and also as you know, as a way to curb population. Aristotle, famed like the brilliant leaders of yesteryear, he, he you know he totally um, totally supported the idea of infanticide, and this is something which is so far for far But from the Jewish perspective, we've all, we've been always putting the premium on on uh, on, on human life. Um, in ancient societies, killing for entertainment purposes was commonplace. You know, in the Roman Empire, there were over 200, 200 um, arenas where they had, you know, where they had gladiators fighting, right, killing each other. And the human sacrifice was also prevalent. And in Judaism, what do we say? There was an absolute stress in saving saving a Jewish life. You say, or, or Jewish life, or any life, right? Um, Jewish life specifically. Uh, if you save a Jewish life, it's as if it's as if you, you know, you uphold the whole world. Uh, what else? I found this very cool. What about investing? What about today, right? Uh, you want to invest your money, right? How are you going to invest your money? Could it, is it possible that you could go to the Talmud, a document written, you know, 1,500 years ago, and find some investing device that's, that, you know, that's relevant today? Is that possible? What do you think? Sure. Really? Huh? <laughs> so the Talmud in Babasia 42a, Rabbi Yitzchak says, a person should always divide his money into three. A third in land, a third in commerce, and a third cash on hand. <laughs> okay, now but now this principle, this principle is the is the is the uh, the foundation of money manager Robert Gibson's classic asset allocation, which has been published five times. Who is who is Roger Gibson? So he runs Gibson Capital, which has over $1 billion in assets under management. On page one of his asset allocation, what does he quote? He quotes the Talmud, right? This, right? And what he does, he says, a third in real estate, a third in cash, and a third in commerce, which, he's, which he says, I interpret that to mean stocks. <laughs> How do you like that, huh? Who would, who would have thought that you would go to the document that old and it could be so relevant today? Uh, Bar- I found online Barclays Capital. 
he comes up with a report every year. They quote this as well. Interesting. Um, this is something that I talked to. Next thing, someone talked about with uh, with Josh, the Greek poet Pallidus. You know that marriage brings a man only two happy days: the day he takes his bride to bed and the day he lays her in the grave. Not exactly. Not exactly one of the early feminist writers, right? Jeez. And what do we say in Judaism? That a man must marry. Well, not fair, but must marry. But what are the responsibilities that a man has to a woman? Right? You know, you have to quote honor. You have to honor the women more than yourself. You have to buy her gifts. I talked about this over with Josh, right? Right. Huh? It actually says. Jewelry. Oh my god, that's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking notes. notes. I'm taking, taking notes. notes. <laughs> and what was it? I, I heard something about three pairs of nice shoes a year for the holidays. Oh, I love that. I, I'm not saying this out of randomness. I actually <laughs> read this one somewhere. I know what it does say. Okay, I'll just give you the source. And Panera gift cards, right? He's not going to in the Talmud in Sukkah I think it's in the Talmud in the 20s on the B, on the B side of, of the page it says that there's an obligation to be happy on the holidays the three Jewish holidays this is Pesach, Sukkot, and Shavuot and therefore a man has to buy his wife stuff to make her happy right <laughs> the Ksuba, the marriage document, is a totally one-sided document, right? The idea of alimony, of, of guaranteeing the support of the woman after a divorce, uh, if that would, you know, the unfortunate reality that you know, divorces happen. That's a Jewish convention. And that's something we've been saying for 2,000 years. I thought the Ksuba was... So it's a marriage document, but it's like a prenup. Wait, spousal right, support? Also, yes, it's about spousal support. Absolutely. Right, but my understanding no, was married. that it came from the concept <laughs> that you'll be miserable. Man has universal right to declare divorce, and it's basically so. Another that's another make it extraordinarily plus prohibitive to do so. Right, not good. not so much a prenup. So that is a. Uh, Although I know that there are prenuptials. So it's like, like this. Let me give you uh, from a Torah perspective. I mean, it's from the Torah until when this changed um, a thousand years ago. Uh, it was up to the man. The man had the responsibility to know when to end the marriage. Okay, right. so he could divorce her against her will. It means even if she wanted, he had the responsibility. A thousand years ago, a fellow by the name of Rabbi Gershon, Gershon Mahor Hagrola, right? He saw that people were taking this and uh, you know using it to manipulate women. And therefore, he uh, declared an edict that a divorce has to be uh, has to be mutual. So, for, since a thousand years ago, it has it has to be mutual. So that's not even relevant anymore. And if someone says, "Oh, Judaism doesn't treat women well because you can divorce a woman against her will," that is akin to saying, "I hate the United States because they don't let women vote." It's the same thing. Right? If, if, some, so if somebody that changed in 1921. And it's not pertinent today, so it changed a thousand years ago. It's not pertinant today. So what, about, so what about the Azunot? If it's supposed to be... Well, then the man also can't get married. So that's an unfortunate well, situation. The man can't get married. The man cannot get married. Yeah. 
can't get married. Cannot get married. It's not. It's not true. It, since post this edict, the man cannot get married. And if a, and, and let's say a man says, you know what? Right. But what about a, a man says, I'm going to divorce my wife against her will, and he gives her again. He gives her a divorce. Document. She's not divorced. She's not divorced. Right. You send. You you, you send to get something. She's Wait, not divorced. She, she's like this crazy. Doesn't want to get divorced. So, so she's absolutely. So then you not so. So that's you know, where you have like, the Hetamer Rabbanim. You've heard of that? That's the one out. Okay, that's a good no, question. No, you know what I'm saying? Like, that, that, that someone can question. say, I don't want to get divorced. The way, the, way, the way he did it was, the way he structured his position or his opinion, which is accepted by everyone. It's, it's too late. It's ready. It's, it's law. It's a thousand years ago. Law. Uh, the 10th century. That's how, that's how long ago it is. What he said is, hey, uh, a man from a Torah perspective can marry as many women as he wants, but no more. A man could divorce his wife against her will or he's in one position to make that decision but no more but if there's extended extenuating circumstances and then you what it says then you're able to if you get a a hundred rabbis from three different countries to all agree that this is enough of a circumstances to override this then you can do it and back in the day a a hundred rabbis from three different countries was almost impossible to get nowadays it's a lot easier but see, that's different. See, that's Ashkenazi. So Rabbi Rabban was still writing that you can divorce your wife. That's true. And that's she true. That's spilled true. coffee on you. I don't know. Some some crazy stuff. There's something like that. That, uh, that is true. That is true. Yeah. That, 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 that is true. But uh, I, I, that's, I, that's after, I, I, after I, at least that is that is after Rabban. Around eleven thirty-five to twelve four. I think this is going on a tangent. Going on a tangent. I know. The concept was that the Gatuba was mainly designed to make it cost prohibitive. And lastly, the utilize that universal. Something that people don't know, but once again, back to the Gatuba, a man, a couple who gets married. <laughs> Uh, the the man has to satisfy his wife sexually, okay. So much so that if he doesn't, if he does not do that, it's grounds for divorce. It's grounds for divorce. She can divorce him, right? It's a to- and totally guaranteed. The man has a guarantee to take care of her emotionally, physically, uh, and uh, to give her uh, clothing. Yeah, Julie is not mandated, but that's where it's accent. Yeah, where did where did it actually say jewelry? It doesn't. It has no Talmud. Like shows you. That's Italian. Just in the Torah. Well, yeah, it's, it's the same thing. I'm saying Judaism. I'm saying Judaism. The Torah, the written Torah, the old Torah, and also Jewish culture. It's Jewish culture as well. Jewish practice has been practiced for thousands of years. What about the Jews that only practice based on Torah? With the Karaites, you know any Karaites? Old Jews that just it's practice. It's really funny that you say that because there was one class that I went to. No, one class that I went to that say that said the only people of the book these days, you know what they're called? Christians. We don't. We're not really Jews solely. That's of the Bible. I mean, all the all the Talmudic, um, everything from the Talmud has been incorporated into our practice. Um, into our practice. Are you a guy? <laughs> um, well, I'll tell you. Even the Karaites, even the Karaites, even the Karaites have have oral traditions because it doesn't tell you, uh, you know, where it's filling. Doesn't tell what it's look like. It doesn't tell you, you know, what what compartments or what Torah scrolls are supposed to go into them. So that has to be an oral tradition. Regardless, the question is: Are you going to go with the accepted old tradition that has been accepted for thousands of years, or are you going to make up your own? Either way, it's not possible to actually observe 
the written document without some form of uh, companion uh, position or tradition. What about animal rights? <laughs> animal rights, right? Uh, human rights were totally non-existent in the ancient world. Uh, what about animal rights? For sure not. And actually, in the Torah, you find uh, laws governing this. Think about that. How modern of a concept is that? But the Torah tells you, if you have an animal, you have to feed the animal first, right? You have to feed the animal first. You, you want, you're hungry, you eat, you eat you got to feed the dog first. See? It's a Torah law. You have to feed the animals before you eat yourself. I remember when I was a kid, we had a, some goldfish. And like, I remember this, this is something that's like, Seared into my mind. Oh, you can't eat. You gotta go shake some, uh, <laughs> shake some goldfish food before you eat breakfast. Because that, that's a Torah law, and that's and that's been around for thousands of years. And it's uh, it's 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 you know, greater society has come around to recognize it as value today. Even not the non-kosher animals. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Probably not. Pig <laughs> <laughs> is like the uh, the paragon of. Uh, <laughs> They're not animals. You can't get the lobster Can you fish with shrimp? Why not? What if you like lick your finger bun? Like, kind of like your finger bun. Huh? Uh, no, you can't. You wouldn't be able to lick your finger bun. Fish, 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 you know, yeah. yeah. But hunting is. Hunting? You're not allowed to hurt animals for no reason. But if you need the animal for, I don't know, for a belt or for some shoes, then you're allowed to do it just for your purpose, right? Well, what do you do if you actually <coughs> get the wrong fish? Like you like you get a blowfish so instead of a flounder. You have a very strong love. Hey. <laughs> so, uh, fishing. What about fishing for sport? You use fish for sport. And what about hunting for, for sport? So, from a from a pure halachic standpoint is that you are allowed to do it because it's not you're not doing it for no reason you're not causing harm to animals you can't terrorize you know cats with BB guns uh, but you're if, if you have a constructive purpose you're allowed to do it technically uh, but the spirit of the law there's the famous response written in the uh, 18th century about hunting he says hey listen you could do it but we're here in this world for a purpose to accomplish major things uh, don't spend your time just uh, you know you know, killing animal for sports. And I want to finish off this session with a quote from a very famous historian, Christian and European historian, who wrote a book called uh, A History of the Jews, Paul Johnson, a receiver of the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor that you get in the United States. And at the end of the book, the epilogue, certainly the world without the Jews would have been a radically different place. Humanity might have eventually stumbled upon all the Jewish insights, but we cannot be sure. All the great conceptual discoveries of the human intellect seem obvious and inescapable once they have been revealed, but it requires a special genius to formulate them for the first time. The Jews had this gift. To them we owe the idea of equality before the law, both divine and human, of the sanctity of life and the dignity of the of the of human person, of the individual conscious and so a personal redemption, of collective conscious and so a social responsibility, of peace as an abstract ideal and love as the foundation of justice, and many other items would constitute the basic moral furniture of the human mind. Without Jews, it might have been a much emptier place. To say that Judaism, that the Torah, that the Jewish culture has been around for uh, millennia is not relevant today is a misconception. It's not true. Um, 
this is just the things that came off the top of my head. There's many more. Like I was I was talking. I think Josh and I once had this talk that the Talmud talks about artificial insemination, which only became a re- reality like 30, 40 years ago, a scientific reality. And th- it's mind-boggling to think that a document written literally thousands of years ago would describe this some, something that would be discovered years later. Okay? Everyone agrees this is a misconception? Huh? What is the opinion on Judaism and artificial insemination? <laughs> <laughs> Answer your question. Um, because there is that other law saying that... I want to know under what that context that falls under. If you're talking no, like so there, sort of discourse. Ta- it's, it's in the Talmud. Just brought down the Talmud. Uh, but uh, what's the opinion as regards to what? Like the moral position or who's the father position or... Or your published question. Well, yeah, what's the question? Give a specific question. Yeah, just morally. morally what, what's the problem? Kardashian... Like a man can divorce the woman if, if she can't get pregnant after ten years. It's under the assumption that the woman just can't get pregnant. It's not the man that's that's infertile, kind of thing. Yeah. So how does that? Well, it's that? well, I'll tell you. Today's practice, it's used all the time, right? Uh, my one of my friends from Yeshiva's father has the biggest IVF clinic in Canada. He's an observant Jew, and he has all the Jews coming, Jews that his whole flock to, to his place, uh, conceive.ca, and enormous laboratory in Ottawa. And he says, tons of Jews come, because they know, like, he follow, you know, everything's fine and kosher with a hasha. It's all, it's all fine. It, it is fine, yeah. Um, but they rely on him because he's, you know, he's, you know, he's Jewish and he knows the laws. Shari Tzedek has an enormous, Shari Tzedek in Israel, in Jerusalem. As an enormous IVF, uh, you know. as to the question of paternity, it's, it gets complicated. There's lots, lots to talk about. Moving right along, misconception number two: rituals are devoid of meaning. Uh, when you do something like a mitzvah, uh, how can mitzvahs be a spiritual experience? You're doing a mitzvah every day. You're wearing tefillin every day. You're praying every day. You have Shabbat once a week. You have uh, lots of repetitive ritualistic activities as. Uh, someone who follows Jewish practice, how could that be meaningful if you're doing it again and again? Loss of novelty, right? How could there be meaning in ritual? Is that a conception that y'all would agree people have? Hmm? I know that I had this thing, and I said, hey, prayer, I'm praying three times a day, it's the same exact words, almost exact words, it's the same words, the prayer, the morning, afternoon, and evening prayers. And if you pray all three times, you're saying the same thing, you know, Three times a day, uh, 18 times a week, hundreds and hundreds of times a year, maybe thousands of times a year. How could that be meaningful if you're just saying the same things over and over? Is that a, is that a, is that a, a valid claim? What do you say, Brian? I think that we've had this discussion before, and you said that it just keeps us reminded about like what we're doing here okay. and why it's important to us. Okay, that's that. That's true. But how could it be meaningful? How could it be meaningful again and again? It's so ritualistic. It's just it's mechanical. It's technical. I mean, we right, sing. So you happy- say waking up and telling your wife I love you because you have to. You're right. <laughs> well, that's 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 one of those part of the answer I've written down here. Right, right. It's only ritualistic if there's no relationship. It's only right to buy flowers is a nice gesture. 
that someone would show to his wife, right? <laughs> or, or like to say, I love you, or uh, sleeping together, right? You're going to do the same thing a thousand times? How could that be meaningful? How could that be meaningful? You, we, hey, if you get married to someone and live with them, or plan to live with them for 60, 70 years, and plan on you know, remaining active in the bedroom, be sleeping together thousands and thousands of times. How is that not just going through the motions and just... <laughs> is it just a ritual? Is it just... It's just... You're, you're, or it's not. Because there's a relationship. If there's a relationship, there's no ritual. In Judaism, we say that our mitzvah is a... Rela- it's, 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 it's an act of a relationship that we have with the Almighty. If... You're talking to the Almighty and you have a relationship with Him. It doesn't matter that you said the same words before. It's imbued with meaning. It's imbued with meaning. If you have no relationship, hey, it's just you're just saying things that's in this funky Hebrew that you don't even understand. You don't remember if they like, get transliterated and stuff. Like, it doesn't mean anything. It's, 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 you know, it's, it's reading a German uh, recipe. That's what it is. Uh, and for many Jews, it is, it is like that. But if you're trying to develop a relationship, do the same thing a thousand times and it has meaning again and again. Well, it grows when you have a relationship with somebody. Obviously, and it, gets, and it, gets, it gets deeper. That's a great example, right? And, and you know, a spouse is a great example that, that it, could, it could start off as being a lustful, a solely lustful relationship. And if it develops and it deepens over time, it becomes much more emotional, it becomes much more of an experience, much more spiritual. I know that um, when my when my grandfather, when he was six, he was uh, he had cancer. In the last half a year, uh, he, was, he was in lots of pain. He was ninety years old, lots of pain. wasn't sleeping well through the nights. And my grandmother, just, you know, God, you know, God bless her, she would have to stay up the whole night with him. Like he's waking up, and he's, right? So they would have a different grandchild stay with him every night. So I remember I was there one night. My grandma was a real special person. I was up the whole night. waking up the same way a child wakes up the day before the class trip. And he would wake up and say, is it time to go to Shachar? Is it time to go to yet? And he would wake up at two and he's like, I'm like, Sabi, you have like five hours left. Let me go back to sleep. So he'd go back to sleep and he'd wake up at three. And he says, is it time to go yet? And he wanted to get ready. And he, 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 really, literally, the whole night. And he was up the whole night Waited to go shower, and so much so that he just conked out like at five, and he ended up sleeping, uh, you know, sleeping through. But to me, it was like so shocking. To me, to pull me out of bed in the morning, not much of a morning person, but to pull me out of bed to go shakras, to go daven, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And that's because my relationship that I have with the Almighty is not quite like my grandfather's. You know, you could daven mincha anytime. Mincha is the afternoon prayers. You could daven, you, you could pray anytime from, let's say, 12, 1 p.m. to like 8, 9 p.m. So I generally wait till like 9, you know. And my grandfather would always dive in the earliest, earliest time. Just to him, it was such an experience. You're talking to the almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, who has the power to, control, to do anything. What an experience, right? And you have a relationship with him. And you've been with him, relying on him for 70 years. Or you're just saying the German recipe, right? You could see how, on one hand, yes, rituals could be meaningless. On the other hand, they could be 
totally um, steeped in, 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 in real meaning. You know, I, uh, I think about uh, you know, blessings on food. So there's six different blessings in, in, in halacha, six different blessing categories and different categories of food, right? Hamotzi on bread, which everyone knows, but people don't know that there's other, well, lots, lots of people don't know that there's other categories, like on wine, there's a special blessing, and on uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, uh, and on gra- uh, grains, and on miscellaneous, like meat, eggs, fish, drinks, right? So a bracha, like I say bracha all the time, and you say, well, 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 you know, my kids, my kids, like, when you give them, like, a can of Coke, uh, say a bracha, say a blah, 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 and it's just, boom, and they're drinking. And, but it could be something that you could do 10, 25, you know, 100 times a day. It could be a total, just, you know, lip service. Or it could, it could be a real experience. You could say, oh, I have an apple, and the apple's beautiful, and the apple's given to me by God to enjoy and the Almighty wants us to have a great time in life. And when I eat this apple, it's it's a physical experience. It's a physical experience, but I, I, I feel like the magic touch of the Almighty. And he gave this for me, and he loves me. And I say a blessing, thank you, for making it so beautiful and so delicious. Boom, you just took a physical exercise and elevated it to being a spiritual exercise. We have these opportunities, even though they could be rituals, and unfortunately they are rituals for many people, for most people, for most of the time, but they could be full of meaning if we build that relationship. You know, I also, I also find that um, you know, there's some things, we're a very cerebral religion. We'll get that a little bit later. There's, it doesn't make sense. It has to be organized and it's codified and it's it's rational and it's built on reason and there's reasons for everything and there's voluminous amounts of, of, of information and it's organized. Right? That's the way we work. So much so we'll talk about it a little later that in Judaism it's not enough to have faith. Faith is a Christian idea. Oh, I believe, believe. You gotta know. You gotta you have to have evidence, you have to prove things. These have to make sense. They don't make sense. Then you're no, no different than the, than the Shiites. They're following what their parents told them. You're following what your father told you, or your society told you, or your rabbi told you, or your community told you. We, well, that's, that's, not, that's not a Jewish. It's all based on, on, on reason. We don't believe in experiencing things before you they understand. Before you understand them, you have to understand first, and then you experience. But there are some things that can only be understood if you experience them. Generally, you have to understand it and then experience them. But there are some things that you can only understand them. You can only understand them if you experience them. Like I, I find, uh, like the Shabbos experience to be tremendously, tremendously meaningful. But I know that there are people that don't that don't that, that don't share that that opinion. And I, I think that it's something that has to be experienced, and only the experience gives that gives that level of understanding. So. To the misconception that uh, rituals, mitzvahs, things that you do repetitively uh, lose their novelty over time, um, we say indeed they do, but only if there's no relationship, only if you're not developing something special here. Uh, and like I say, it's like the, 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 the example that, that Eric gave is like a relationship between a husband and wife. They're doing lots of things the same, you know, over and over again, but if there's a relationship, it has more and more. 
and just, so you know, it's, so so to the, the, it's, it's an exact parallel. So it is a misconception, um, but it's not. It's it's a misconception to a degree. It is a misconception that uh, ritual is devoid of meaning is a misconception uh, because it, it can have meaning, but you have to develop the relationship in order for the meaning to actually be present. How are we doing? Doing good? Uh, misconception number three. Judaism takes the fun out of life and it's hard to be an active Jew. Um, you know, there's, there's an old Yiddish saying. We all have heard it. Shvetz Zayna Yid. Anyone heard that? I mean, it's, it's tough to be a Jew. Shvetz Zayna Yid. Shvetz means it's, it's difficult. And... The, the idea here is that, hey, there's some restrictions, you know, there's 365 things the Torah tells you you're not allowed to do. Restrictions. You know, you gotta, you, you have to pass the bacon, you can, you know, do this and this and this on Shabbos, and lots of restrictions. Shaving with the razor, right? Uh, it's also, you know, shave with the razor in, in, in Jewish world of men. Um, and so many millions of things that are, that are, that we might shave. Well, How do the we might shave? Well, they have to have an exception. They're probably used under Ralco. Without the illusion cup. Yes. <laughs> um, and. Well, there's certain places, yes. Yeah. So your mustache should be allowed to shave. But here, no. here, no. and here. And here. Huh? Here and there. No, I don't think so. Oh, we'll argue about this. I'm Whatever. There's restrictions. There's lots and lots of restrictions. They say it's so tough and so difficult. And, uh, and that's a. You know, a belief people have, and I believe it's a misconception. And I think also people assume that the Torah, God's giving us restrictions. Why is he doing it? What's his motivation? He wants to make us miserable? He wants to make our, our life tough? Absolutely not. So what's his motivation? If he loves us, why is he telling us all the things we can't do? Well, parents do that. Well... If God's our parent, why would he That's want to be our Well, maybe parents have a vendetta against us. I don't know. No, maybe. I'm saying that they don't. They should care. All the things that all right. the previous generations have done in the past. Okay, but is, is that is that is that really true? I don't think so. I think that it's funny. <laughs> but our God, the Jewish God, uh, is the infinite God. Right? Can lack nothing. Can be improved in no way. There's no way for God to feel good or feel bad. It's not possible if you accept our premise of God. He cannot do anything to be improved or to be changed or to be angered. He's static. Right? That's why he cannot exist in time. It cannot be before and after. God cannot do anything for him. He doesn't need our mitzvahs, doesn't need our prayers, doesn't need our Torah, doesn't need our morals, doesn't need anything from us. He's only given us these restrictions for our own good. For our own good. And specifically, we're taught, this may be a shock to some people, that the reason why we have these restrictions is to augment and increase our pleasure in life. Oh, this turns the issue on its head. We say... That's like a psychological, you know, thing. Like you say, oh, you'll be happy if you do this. Well, you want to... It's like like an advertising so you don't do this. Right? No, I'm saying if you do these mitzvot or, or follow all the Torah laws, you're going to be happy, which is not really, which is not really what, not really the case. Is that right? 
Well, you have to be a happy, you have to be a happy person in general to be happy. You can't follow the six hundred thirteen rules and be okay. So let, let's start from the ground up. Physiologically, all humans are striving to have pleasure. Does everyone agree with that statement? I think in, in, in various iterations, everyone would agree to that. We have uh, Freud famously told us this, right? We're here to have pleasure. Frankel and Adler agree. And what they're just talking, they're only arguing in semantics. How do you describe pleasure? Is pleasure meaning? Is pleasure um, uh, physical, uh, hedonism? We're all here trying. Physiologically, humans are seeking the same thing. Rabbi Israel Salanter, right, the founder of the Muslim movement, who preceded Freud with describing the unconscious known by layman as the subconscious, right? Don't ever tell a psychiatrist or a psychologist, don't talk about the subconscious. That just shows that you don't know anything. Uh, it's, to- it's all the unconscious. We, we, we call it subconscious, right? I, I, I did until I, I learned with the psychiatrist. And he's like, no, 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 don't call it subconscious. Unconscious. And this was described by Rabbi Salander 60 years before Freud. And he also agrees, everyone agrees that we're here, we're driven, motivated for one thing, and that's that pleasure. And Judaism says, Adam I'll say it with the quote, Adam Lonivra, man was not created, Ella, rather, right, to, to have the pleasure of God. This is the real pleasure. I'm saying in Hebrew, so Erica, believe me. And the greatest pleasure that could be possible. What we're saying is, yes, we're here to have pleasure. But we're, there's different. There's hierarchies in pleasure. right? There's higher levels of pleasure. You don't want to spend your life settling for the lowest level pleasures. Right? You don't want to. You don't want to be playing PlayStation and eating ice cream and avoid responsibilities of life and have the pleasure of love and have the pleasure of meaning. We're here to have pleasure, but what kind of pleasure? The higher levels of pleasure. Don't get bogged down with all the silly things. And we we view uh, restrictions as saying, don't get too drunk on the appetizers. Don't get too drunk on the small pleasures in life. Focus on the greater pleasures in life. So, um, yes, uh, the immature way to look at it is that, uh, give me back my chocolate bars. Why are, you, why are you taking my chocolate bars away from me? Uh, when in reality, it's not, we're not try, uh, the Torah is not trying to make, us, make our lives miserable, rather specifically to make it as meaningful and as pleasuresome as possible. And indeed, we say there's five different levels of pleasure. I've hinted at this before. I don't think I've actually gone with y'all through this. There's five distinct levels of pleasure. Right? And the lowest level is all restrictions that we have in Judaism are all restrictions on the lower, lowest level. Right? The bottom of the rung, physical and material pleasures. That's it. Right? All the higher levels and, and, and even and even the lower pleasure. We don't believe in asceticism. We don't believe in abstinence. We're not telling you to live on a mountaintop, uh, depriving yourself of food and uh, you know, we don't believe that. We say yes, physical pleasure is good in moderation, you know. Uh, because the second we just unleash you in fifth class pleasure, lowest level pleasure, you're there to stay, right? And there's nothing worse for you as a pleasure seeker in life to, than to settle on the lowest level, right? To settle on, 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 you know, the, on the, the, the point of departure in the pleasure journey. That's my argument. So yes, uh, not only are we not uh, we not here. Uh, is God not here to make our lives miserable? Rather, we're here specifically to have pleasure, and that's why we have all the restrictions. 
Restrictions are to make sure we don't get drunk on the lowest levels of pleasure uh, out here. So, if you were to claim that uh, it's no fun to be Jewish, there's no pleasure, it takes the fun out of life, uh, it would be another misconception. It's actually not true. In Judaism, we say the purpose of existence is not for God. God doesn't need it. It's for us. Why? To do what? To have pleasure. What kind of pleasure? The highest levels of pleasure, not the lowest levels. And all to a man, you'll see every single one of the 365 different classifications of restricted activity are all low-level pleasures. And by the way, 98% of the stuff you don't do anyhow, or you wouldn't want to do anyhow. So yes, it is a misconception, and it's actually not true. Uh, and the last of the four misconceptions is, I think, something that I already mentioned before, and that is the idea of, and this is more, not, this is more, it's actually true for other religions, but not so much for Judaism, and that is that the idea of a leap of faith, right? Religion is the opiate of the masses. It's the way to pull, you know, uh, uh, put wool in front of their eyes. What's the line, right? Wool in front, cover their eyes, with, right? Wool, right? Uh, and that is that uh, just, you know, follow some dogma, some system of beliefs and get the simple people to be happy. And it's just, yeah, it's total nonsense. And it's totally, you know, and, and, and it's, you know, it's just faith and it's a leap of faith and it's not based on reality and it's not based on evidence and it's not based on facts and it's not based on, on, on empirical data. It's silly, right? It's for, the, you know, it's for the lower levels of society and it just shouldn't revolt and riot. Uh, and what I'll tell you is, is that indeed, uh, many religions do say that they do put a premium on faith and not asking questions and uh, avoiding topics that are uh, difficult to uh, reconcile with their belief. Well, in Judaism, in Judaism, we embrace questions and we tell you, you have to understand it. Faith alone, you cannot hide under the cloak of faith and say, oh, I just believe. I believe and I don't understand. There's no mitzvah to believe. There's a mitzvah to know. Yeah, people, emunah. You don't find the word emunah. People have a certain faith about the Torah. And they might read something that, if they weren't in the Torah world, were like thinking, oh, this is nuts. This is like, for example. Give me the example. I, 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 I don't know. I don't want to judge. No, ask, ask yeah. the question. Ask the question. Like, some people don't believe in the Torah. Oh, yeah. You keep kosher. But something like really something that just goes against your ethical uh, upbringing. I don't know, something that just doesn't make sense, right? It, what, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, like what? Moses' parting the Red Sea. Oh, yeah. Like what? Moses' parting the Red Sea. So that's... Oh, something which is supernatural? Mm-hmm. Something supernatural or... Yeah, okay, so is that a leap of faith? That's a leap of faith. You know, because you... Okay, so I have you a lot say, of okay. I, know the Torah, I know the Torah is true, so now I believe everything. Well, well that, I know everything that is said that is true. But that... Discovery Channel that explained all the plagues. Oh, yeah, that was cool. That was cool. So, what but, can we put... No, no, no. Is that, a little bit of faith in order to... No, so I, I think that... Uh, um, well, Maimonides writes... I'm trying to say it quickly because we're almost out of time. Maimonides writes that Moses is the father of all prophets. Right? Why is he called the father of all prophets? Because... Uh, he's a proven prophet. What that means is, is that there was evidence, right? The revelation at Sinai was a national experience, experienced by many, many hundreds of thousands of people. 
they all saw Moses being a prophet, right? They all experienced. We're not saying, oh, Moses is part of the sea on the way to Damascus and no one saw it. We're saying Moses is part of the sea and all the Jews walked through it. So while we can't explain, uh, explain it under the you know, laws of science, you know, there's lots of things. Even, well, it's, even people that don't believe... That's a good example. It's a very good example. Even people that don't believe in any supernatural, right? You have to believe in the you know the Big Bang is not supernatural. It's not. Of course it is. It's right. Where did the first organism come from? Evolution starts from point B, right? Evolution is not a leap of faith, really. It's so improbable. It's it's a total leap of faith, right? And it has to be. There has to be a miracle somewhere. So is it a miracle in the framework of nature, right? Um, or is it a miracle with the supernatural? Everyone agrees that there was something uh, out of the ordinary, something that's highly likely we have never seen before that brought us to existence. You know, eight billion creatures. You know, it's it's a lot to really accept rationally. Um, and you know what? Even evolution, an example, starts from point B. What does it start from? A single one single-celled organism. It's easier to go from a mouse to the elephant than it is to go. From inanimate, uh, inanimate uh, molecule—not molecules, but inanimate uh, speck of dust—into animate, inanimate objects. So, so that's something which has never been explained, and that's beyond the scope of science. So, what happened before? The, these are things that, regardless, regardless, you have to believe in some form of, in some form of, we are a miracle. The question is, how did it happen? Yeah, and the Big Bang, you know what, I, I, I've said this before, Big Bang is actually quite in line with what we believe, and that is that there was a beginning, you know. So 1965, when they discovered the background uh, radiation, the echo of the Big Bang, everyone oh, yeah. thought that the world was around forever, you know, because that's what uh, Aristotle taught us 2,400 years ago, right? It's dark matter. So, so yes, the fact that the world has a beginning... Uh, you know, for thousands of years, uh, everyone's been arguing on the very first word of the Torah, and like that, in one second, with one bang, <laughs> with one bang, the greater society comes to accept accept that premise. But yes, um, do we know how Moses built the sea? No. Uh, do we believe it happened? Of course. There were millions of people that witnessed it, and these are our grandparents. So yes. Um, Um, and my conclusion, my concluding point. So, so that's that. Uh, religious uh, religion is the opening of the masses. It, it probably is, but not our religion. Our religion uh, puts us. Well, yeah, but it's all about asking questions, and it's all about not accepting things if you don't understand them. We don't believe in just having this faith and avoiding all the challenging uh, topics. You know, I, I I yearn for people to ask me questions. Like, if you want to. Give me a birthday present. Ask me like a really good question, and you'll, you'll meet Jewish rabbis. And they'll say, "Ask questions. Ask." Right? They want to. They want their 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 congregants and their people engaged, asking questions, and and questioning, challenging. That's that's very positive, because just being simple and just not asking questions and just I believe, believe, believe. That's not a uh, that's not a Jewish. Uh, I mean, Judaism from two thousand years. Because you have laws in the Talmud that are completely absurd. Like that what? Just stoning for death, you know? Well, that's not pertinent per- per- anyhow. No, 
to say, but like if it was going to be applied today, who would you know? Only only people in Saudi Arabia or Iran or Iraq would you stone someone? But you know, just saying. Like, oh, you saying that's not humane way of killing people? No, those laws that were happening before two thousand years ago are not applicable. Today. Well, it's that's not, but it's not applicable today anyhow. We don't have a Jewish court of law in place. Let's say you did have a Jewish court of law in place. Would you apply that? First of all. No, I do. I do think that it would apply. So, <laughs> electric chair is irrelevant. Why is it different than electric chair? Why is it different? Stoning. If someone did something that that deserved a capital punishment, like a capital punishment, just like they, they, they do, that just Texas just executed its five hundredth uh, uh, right a couple of weeks ago, last week. What, what was it? We execute even today. Today's society, we execute. What's the difference? How we execute them? Oh, no. Uh, what would you do like that? Why not? Yeah, it's a good stuff. Of course you would. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Why is that insane? What are you talking about? That's like why is that insane? Why? Look, so the point of lethal injection is so that they have a painless death. Basically. How do we know that they have a painless death? Okay, that's it's a lot better than choking someone to death. How do you know? What do you mean? First of all, they don't stone to death. First of all, what they do is shut them off the building. Shove them off the building. Exactly. Exactly. That's kind of ironic. As a matter of fact, we're trying to make it comfortable. They live better First of all, this almost never happened. Okay, so much so that Talmud in Marcus in Tractate Eric Tractate Marcus Tractate Marcus seven A says that once in seven years would they actually execute a prisoner, which like one. It sounds like we all have a copy of Shas sitting at the. Well, I just. I, I expect I expect everyone to go online and Google. It's all available on Google. But it says that uh, uh, one opinion says that they only executed a prisoner once every seven years. The second opinion says if you know, um, second opinion says oh they executed once every seven years. And the third opinion says that oh if it was us we would never execute. It means they had so, so many things have to go right for someone to actually be executed. No, fine, I understand. But- yeah, but well, I, but but absolutely, there. absolutely. If if if, 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 if Jewish law is will be put into practice, they will stone people who deserve to get stoned. Well, I, I understand what what's the big problem with that. We view it as if, I don't. What do you mean? What's wrong with it? What do you mean? What's wrong with it? Somebody really. I mean, I realize that there are like hold seven, on, seven, hold on. Seven I want to take a show of hands. If you were going to get stoned today, what would you rather go? I would never want. In order to get stoned, in order to get stoned, I'm not doing anything to get stoned. Yeah, all together. Yeah, yeah. Eric, if you wanted to get stoned, you wouldn't be able to do it. If you wanted to get stoned, you wouldn't be able to do it. It almost never happens. No, I'm just saying. But if it does happen, I've seen some of the cases. But you know, the point is that things change over time. Why? I don't know. I have that. Okay, but that's for a reason. There's a there's a reason for that. And yo, slaves is another great example. You know that in in in, in Judaism, we, we in the slaves described in the Talmud, you were actually a slave to your slave. If you have one, the Talmud says in Kedushim in the teens, if you have one pillow, okay, you gotta give it to your slave, right? If you hit your slave, he goes free. No, uh, what Gentile slave becomes Jew right away. Gentile slave becomes Jew, a Jew right away. I don't know. I saw a video from Iran about how they stole women. Oh, like, you know, that's, please, that's, that's not. 
That's, that's not what happens. That's not what happens. You know that there, it is, okay, in, in, in Iran, okay, so they're Shiites, right? So they're totally crazy. After uh, have to scratch that off the law school. I don't want to put it on the internet. They're totally crazy. But they really are totally crazy. Like, you know, like, first of all, they fast for a month every year, okay? And at the end of this month, they have a three day festival where they, at the end of Ramadan, they have a three day festival where they all slaughter uh, uh, sheep, right? Okay, fine. They eat the sheep. They eat it. And they take. They take razors and slice open their brain, their heads, like just blood squirting. Okay, okay, okay. They're they're insane. Okay. My friend never told me that. Where are you hearing that? Google it. Shiites, not Sunnis. There is a reason why they're radicals. They're pro radicals because they are radicals. Scalp, wrong with that. They do. They do eat it. Scalp, scalp. Okay. They do, okay. And I, I, I do believe that they have an element of faith. I, I do believe. I know that I, when I would live in Israel, and I once had a table delivered to me in Ramadan, and it was really hot in Israel, right? And the guy's sweating buckets. And I'm like, hey, you want some water? He's like, no, 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 no water in Ramadan. So these dumb, yeah, and I, I do, you know. And historically, they've been way friendlier to us than the Christians have. Just, you know, take one you know, cursory look at... Christian Jewish. Sometimes I still think that way. <laughs> oh, even today, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. But they still are out of their minds. But but. <laughs> which one? The Shiites or Christians? <laughs> <laughs> it's a toss. No, Shiites. <laughs> okay, but. Okay, but <laughs> By the way, uh, there is, lethal injection is one of the four ways that we kill someone. But uh, capital capital punishment is almost almost not relevant at all, even when Jewish law is in practice. Uh, so that's so so that's that. And I but I do think that when Mashiach comes, okay, and it's going to happen, it will happen, absolutely will happen, and Jewish law will be reestablished in Israel, and there will be capital punishment for certain crimes as described in the Torah. And I do believe that uh, stoning will be, stoning is the worst one, that like, there's different degrees, but stoning will be, uh, yes, absolutely. And, 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 um, and lastly, absolutely, of course. I'm, see, Eric, I'm as shocked with you as you are with me. Uh, I, want, I want to finish um, my uh, remarks by saying that, um, you know, so we do live in modern society, and uh, I know that I grew up in a really observant family. Uh, Everyone grew up in their own family, whatever, everyone has their own background, their own story, and it is very difficult to, you know, the Torah is really broad, and there's lots of things that you don't know, there's lots of restrictions, a lot of laws, and, and there's a lot. There is a ton, and even I don't know. Who knows how many times I uh, uh, transgress things because there's just so much to know. I know when I started learning out every Tuesday night with my brother, we're learning halacha, the laws of uh, of reading from the Torah, and, I, and those things I, I'd never seen before. So it's not like people you know who work here every day and, and who do have more strong backgrounds. It's not like they know everything uh, either. Um, and we really have two ways to deal with this problem. And you know, us here today, we're generally of the more educated Jews. You know, from from if you take, take sampling of all the Jews, we're we're at like the ninety fifth percentile on that. 
that's where we are. Um, but there's going to be this conflict of you have the old ignorance in Judaism from Jews, and you have so much information, so much Judaism, and such. Uh, Ignorant, I used the word ignorant before, but not uh, Jews who really don't have any background. And there's two ways to really approach it. And the one approach is to dilute Judaism and to make it more user-friendly and to make it more, uh, to modernize it, right? That's, that's one approach. And to try to find the equilibrium where it's, you know, the Judaism is not intrusive and it's, it's, it's not... Uh, it's it, it's it's manageable. It's it's, it's uh, swallowable. It's like something like a pill you can swallow. It's, it's palatable, right? Uh, to people who don't know much about you, that's one approach. My position has always been: don't dilute Judaism. We know we're going to fail. We're humans. We're to some degree, all of us are ignorant, and we're all going to fail. But don't try to uphold Judaism by dismantling. It's, it's better it's better to say, okay, we know we're going to fail, but at least we're not going to dilute it. At least we're not going to water it down. We'll still have the real thing the way it was for hundreds of years as part of our Jewish culture and Jewish identity and Jewish practice and Jewish observance. We'll have that. We'll try to do as much as we can, each one of us to our own abilities, right? And we're going to fail. And we know we're going to fail. That's a better option, in my in my opinion, uh, than than uh, than saying, okay, fine. So this we can't do. So let's let, let's uh, let's 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 take scissors and cut out parts of the Torah that are just not are just not gonna. Don't change the Torah. Right? Keep the Torah the way it is. And I think from a historical perspective, it's undeniable that every time there was an attempt to try to uphold Judaism by dismantling it, it's actually eroded it further. The attrition actually went even further. You said, okay, fine. Jews aren't coming to Shul and Shabbos, right? Because uh, can't drive. Right? This is a, this is an example. And, and even though I don't want to take swipes at any at any one particular group, God forbid, uh, but I've had a conservative rabbi that told me this. So the conservatives, up to the 50s, no one was allowed to drive on Shabbos because they can't drive on Shabbos, right? Uh, but in the 50s, uh, what they did was they said, okay, fine, you can drive on Shabbos, but only to Shul. So what happens? The unintentional, the un- unintended consequences of that is now people drive everywhere but Shul. And while, while as beforehand you had to live within the vicinity of the Shul because you had to walk, now you can live wherever you want. What happens to Jewish community? It gets, it, you know, it, it, it becomes... Uh, assimilated into the to greater the greater society, and what happens to the intermarriage rates and the assimilation rates? They skyrocket. So I'd rather say, okay, I'll keep Judaism authentic, and I know people will fail, and I know we all will, we all will fail. I'd rather do that than say, okay, fine, let's try to get rid of of, of, of ordinances that are just not uh, being. Uh, that's think, my position. I think our failures, though, have allowed us And that's and that's so failures are actually No, but that's that's been ever present. The, the, you, you, the idea of a wandering Jew, of itinerant Jew, right? 
you know, Jews are everywhere. That, that's been around for forever. But with regards to, okay, you're Jewish. What does it mean to be Jewish? While it used to mean a lot more, it used to mean a lot, right? Now it means, in many groups, it means, oh, be tolerant. Save the whales, right? Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate, because what they, they did is they took Judaism, and, and, and while being tolerant is a Jewish principle, that's not the only thing. I, my position is, I, I'd rather people say, okay, Judaism is a lot. I'm not there yet. I'm failing. We're all failing to some degree. But Judaism uh, is unchanged. That's my position. Everybody would eat kosher. It wasn't. It was just a way of life. It wasn't something that you know other Jews did differently. If you were a Jew, you ate kosher, and that was that. There was no change. Yeah, it's a relatively new thing or new phenomenon. You know, we think of of the reform movement in the beginning of the nineteenth century as being the first step away from Judaism, when in reality, um, it was actually trying to stem the tide. You know, in the nineteenth century quarter million Jews converted to Christianity. Why? Because you have the openings of the, the openings of the ghettos and Jewish emancipation, right? The, the enlightenment. Jews are allowed to become, you know, citizens of the world and they're granted citizenship in every, in every, the ice, in every uh, country in Europe after being kicked around for, uh, for hundreds of years, a lot of own property and after being marginalized politically, economically, uh, socially, physically, they're allowed open to go to universities, right? So, Quarter million Jews converted to Christianity. I see Reform Judaism, at least in, in its inception, as trying to step the tide, trying to slow down the uh, uh, the deluge of of Jews abandoning Judaism, you know, in a wholesale fashion. But that's, like I said, it's a relatively new. It's, it's relatively it's a few hundred years old. That's it. You know, besides for the Karaites, the Karaites and, uh, and the Sadducees. But who, you don't need Sadducees. I don't know any Sadducees. Samaritans, there's a couple of them still living in Israel on this mountain. They have a temple. They actually have sacrifices there. Crazy. They've been there uninterrupted. They claim that they've been there uninterrupted. They're crazy Samaritans. You know, they live on something like in northern Israel. They have this mountain. They have a temple. <laughs> um, but besides for that, uh, Judaism has been one group and, uh, you know, one with one belief, one mission, one destiny. And yeah, I'm going over time. Thanks a lot. And please, my birthday is December 5th. Everyone send me a question. What you got, Josh? Um, learning with you. I'm learning.